Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One thing positive you can say about Donald Trump He's been bad for the country, but he's been great for talk show hosts, political cartoonists, and newspaper columnists. Every day, he provides yet another outrage, one more shocking statement, and more juicy material for commentators to talk about. And nobody's taken greater advantage of that opportunity than Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank, who wanders around Washington with his acid-dipped pen in hand, recording the scene and bringing it to us in his columns, all with a deliciously wicked sense of humor. We caught up with Dana Milbank this week in the middle of the coronavirus scare, in the wake of the South Carolina primary, and on the cusp of Super Tuesday. Dana Milbank, it's good to, uh, good to join you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's good to be with you, Bill. So uh, the latest numbers as of uh, our talking on Monday morning uh, are that there are over 39 cases of coronavirus now worldwide, some 70 plus in the United States, um, 67 countries and territories infected, over 3,000 dead, two of which now in the United States. But Donald Trump says it's all a big hoax. What's really going on, Dana? <laughs> well, and he clarified to say that he doesn't think the virus itself is a hoax, but yeah. the attempt by the media and the Democrats to blame him, or I guess his response, is not entirely clear to me. That part uh, is the hoax. So the virus itself is not the hoax, but reporting on it uh, is, uh, a is hoax. the hoax. I yeah. think what he's trying to say in his own way is that uh, you know it's being hyped. Uh, and it's being uh, exaggerated, and he is uh, being criticized, um, which uh, which may be true. I mean, there's there's one way to end the criticism, and that is to actually have an effective response. Uh, and whether it's being hyped, um, you know, I mean, we nobody really knows how serious the thing is, uh, in large part because nobody's testing, particularly the United States. I mean, what do they have? Uh, uh, you know, hundred thousand tests have been done uh, in mm -hmm. South Korea, um, and you know, what was seven seventeen hundred tests or something as of last week in Britain? Uh, here in the United States, uh, five times the size of Britain, there were like four hundred tests. Uh, so we have no idea. Probably the virus is much more widespread in this country than we know. That's probably good news in the sense that you know we only see the worst cases. Um, so it probably means a lot of people are getting it and they don't even know they have it. Um, so if that's the case, then maybe it's not so uh, lethal. That would be the, probably the best case. Um, but, uh, you know, nobody knows, uh, you know, exactly what this thing is still. Uh, so, I mean, to say it's being hyped or not hyped is a bit, uh, uh, a bit, uh, a bit out there. But um, and, you know, I mean, it's, you know, there's, it, you know, clearly the, the Trump, 
administration has been no friend of public health and has weakened our defenses uh, over time. And, and uh, but, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, that's fair game. I kind of agree it's not a time for uh, politics. But uh, guess who's playing politics with, with his <laughs> tweets? Well, uh, I think this would be a great time for the president to actually be a leader. This Well, yeah, and it's not just the president himself, right? We saw... Uh, Mick Mulvaney over at CPAC say the media is only talking about this, right, because they just want to hurt Trump. That's what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson all saying the media is just playing this up. They really the, the, the Democrats and the media, they want millions to die so that those. Yes. The Trump president won't get reelected. Well, yeah. Yes, I guess he did. But the. the the problem with that is we're among the millions. So <laughs> the the media, the Democrat. I mean, who would who would want that? So well, uh, several people have made this point, and maybe you have too. That this may be the first non self inflicted crisis in the Trump administration, right? So it really is a test, isn't it, for Trump and Trump and company? Yeah, I mean, we, he's had a fairly charmed presidency, and the crises we've had have been. You know, provocations with uh, North Korea, uh, with Iran and Syria. Uh, so they largely have been uh, of Trump's doing. So this is the yeah, this is the first real test of uh, uh, how the administration you know governs in a crisis. Uh, and you know, this the predictions of people. Um, you know, going back to Elliot Cohen before the administration even started was saying they're you know. Uh, not bringing in uh, the best people they're deterring the best people and you know when a crisis comes we're going to have a problem so i'm you know i'm not uh, i have no glee in saying that i really would like them to have an effective response here that's what we all need right and it's not just it's a it's sort of a double whammy isn't it it's a public health crisis uh again as you point out we don't know the exact dimensions of that uh, it's mm-hmm. also it's also an economic crisis in terms of the travel industry, in terms of uh, mm-hmm. supply chain, yes. supply chain rather, and yeah. the market. Right. Well, I mean that's a short term uh, problem. Um, I'm not so concerned about that because you know one way or the other, you know uh, you know the uh, the virus is dealt with and uh, and the economy comes back. Now, when that is, uh, you know, matters uh, quite a bit uh, politically. Uh, so, but you know, I, th- I think if the government had a, a control or some uh, measure of uh, some ability to assure about the, uh, you know, how how is this virus working and how are we dealing with it, I think people would calm down quite a bit, and so would the markets. Right. What confidence should we all have now that Mike Pence is in charge? <laughs> well, look, you know. I mean, there are terrifically competent people like, you know, Tony Fauci in the government. I'm right. really glad that, that he's there. You know, uh, every time every time I see him out there, I'm like, all right, it's going to be all right. Yeah, you uh, and me both. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, the question is, you know, is he going to be allowed to do his job? Is the CDC going to be allowed to do their job? They know how to do this. Um, you know, the Congress is willing to give uh, them as much as they need, more than the president uh, had would was hoping to give them, um, you know, to, to get this thing under control. So, I mean, the best thing uh, that uh, that Pence can do is get out of the way and let these, uh, you know, experts do their thing and, you know, uh, ramp up some sort of a massive response. And if it turns out 
that it was overkill and it wasn't necessary. Well, guess what? We're going to be ready the next time one of these comes around, which could be next year or five years. But it's not a matter of, you know, maybe this won't happen again. It's going to keep happening. This is sort of the new, you know, interconnected world we live in. Well, like you, when I see Fauci there, I figure, okay, there's a grown-up in charge, right? We trust him. He's been around. Uh, we've, we've all interviewed him, and he knows what he's doing. Um, and yet, then we hear that anything that Fauci or anybody else from CDC or NIH has to say about this has to first be cleared by the White House and by Pence's office. That's a little right. troubling. Well, I think, and I think it's self-defeating because you you need in times like these to reassure the public, but you don't reassure the public by saying everything's great. You reassure <laughs> right. you reassure the public by saying, "All right, here's what's going on, and here's what we're doing about it." Um, that's what's reassuring to know that the government has some kind of a handle on this thing. But just saying everything's terrific and everything's great, I don't think it reassures anybody because you know, I mean, come on, people aren't stupid. They know they know happy talk when they hear it. They want to know what's going on. Uh, and what we're going to do about it. Um, and we're getting the, only the vaguest, you know, little uh, uh, tidbits of information and not through the general process. Usually you'd have these guys uh, out there uh, speaking uh, for themselves. And rather than, you know, Mike Pence or the, the president giving some uh, sanitized uh, version, you know, just you know, dribbling out a couple of things here and there. I mean, we're in the position of having to get information from the World Health Organization instead of uh, our own authorities and, you know, news reports and, uh, you know, what's going around the rest of the world. If the administration would like to, you know, the, the, the media not to uh, hype it, if that's what they think they're doing, well, put out some real, what they think is the real information. Let's hear it. Do you think the media is being spooked to an extent by warnings from the White House that uh, bad news about coronavirus is just uh, anti-Trump propaganda? I, well, no, of course not. I mean, it. I mean, the, the, everything you, everything uh, in the media. Forget about the media. Everything uh, American can see with their own eyes uh, is, uh, you know, tells you what's going on. It's not as if this is some phenomenon that started here. We see it uh, happening uh, in the rest of the world. Uh, so, I mean, if you know, if CNN and MSNBC and the Post and the Times are uh, are responsible for this. Wow, I had no idea we had such reach hmm. in Hubei province uh, and <laughs> right. in Iran. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who knew that the U.S. media had so much power? One of the things, you and I have been around town a little bit, and we remember, uh, we're, we've been around so long that we remember when there were daily White House briefings, at, and um, I was there every day. You were there often. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember the Ebola crisis. I mean, there were mm -hmm. daily briefings, updates, um, mm -hmm. usually by health professionals in the briefing room. There was a Ron Klain, right, was the czar, the Ebola mm -hmm. czar, who came That's often. right. Um, what a difference, right, between the yeah, way that the Obama administration right. handled Ebola and the Trump administration is handling the coronavirus. Yes, and that's what I'm talking about in terms of assurance that the government's sort of leveling with us, saying what, what they know and what they're doing, as opposed to, you know, having, you know, I mean, it's a curious that the president wants to have his face uh, attached to this at, at all moments. I mean, he seems unable to. Uh, you know, let the spotlight go on to somebody else, but not realizing, of course, it would be better for him mm -hmm. uh, to let the spotlight actually go on to some uh, professionals. Um, you know, it's the, the thing that uh, strikes me is the biggest difference, not so much from Ebola. I mean, yes, people were worried about it, but, you know, this is a crisis, um, I think, more along the lines of the 
2008 market crash or you know the response to 9/11 where you really got to bring the country together uh, and instead we've got a president who's you know holding political rallies and using crazy words like a uh, hoax and uh, putting out uh, uh, misspelled uh, uh, coronavirus tweets and you know the ludicrous uh, animated uh, uh, videos about uh, him uh, beating up on his opponents. I mean, this it's just there's a time for that, and it and it isn't now. Actually, I'm not even sure there is a time for that, but it certainly isn't now. Right? Yeah. Well, what might have worked um, for the Mueller investigation, right, or for the impeachment hearings, is not the same strategy you use in responding to the uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis that we're that we're right, facing right, right now. Well, this one aspect of it. Um, Dana, which, uh, and I read you and, and love your work, but I must hold you responsible. Um, and it's something that Mick Mulvaney mentioned at CPAC. Uh, I, I think I've read every one of your columns. Maybe I was out of town and I missed one, um, Dana, but I don't remember the column you wrote about the loving, caring relationship that Donald Trump has with his son, Barron. And why not? <laughs> I'm waiting for my interview. <laughs> They haven't, they haven't returned my call, Bill. I'm ready to do that piece. I'm ready to do it. I mean, wasn't uh, that – first of all, I, I do think that first children of the White House should be out of bounds and have always been considered out of bounds and, and barren among well, us, unless right? Well, unless they're, you know, grown personalities who are, uh, you know, political figures themselves. Of course, yes, like of Donald course. Jr. Yeah, and Ivanka. Yeah. But, right. Oh, yeah, that's fair game. But uh, – uh, yes, no, that, that's uh, pretty much how it's always been. And we're, we're always careful about uh, uh, how you mention uh, uh, the, uh, the kids. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, there have always been stories about them. But, yes, usually they're um, authorized, shall we say. Right. And and they 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 ask us not to write about them and, and to, or to, treat, to respect their privacy, which we always have. And then mm-hmm. for him to come out and basically slam, mm-hmm. slam the media for not writing stories. But I must say, I don't know about you, I have never seen any evidence of Donald Trump taking Barron out to a ball game or to a bookstore or to a movie or for ice cream. Yeah. Or, well, I think you know. he did take, didn't he take him to the, uh, to the world series with all of his other aides? I he, think he might've had, I think he might've had him in there, but he uh, might've been in the uh, back of the box. It was Kevin McCarthy. Right. It was right. And Lindsey <laughs> right. Graham. Who were right along. Well, those are his two, you know, those are his two elder sons. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking with uh, Dana Milbank here from the Washington post. Uh, take a quick break and we'll read right back and pick up and talk a little politics of the day. Today's podcast with Dana Milbank brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers. Yes, they are 1.7 million strong, the Teachers of America. The AFT founded in 1906, now with 3,000 local affiliates, and they were the leaders of those very big and very successful teacher strikes last year in West Virginia, Kentucky, Oklahoma, California, and other states, all under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute the members of the AFT, thank them for making a difference in America's classrooms every day, and thank them especially for their, for their support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dana Milbank, Washington Post. Again, good to have you with us today, Dana. So I'd love your take on the state of the Democratic primary today. Right since South Carolina, Tom Steyer is now out. Pete Buttigieg is now out. Whole new ballgame? Uh, no, Bill. I think it's the same ball game, and the name of the game is chaos. It's just uh, sort of a different arrangement uh, of the chaos that we have that right now, although it is potentially heading towards something different, and we'll all be a lot smarter about this, I would say, uh, Wednesday morning. So what, we've, what, what had emerged from the early primaries was Bernie Sanders and then you know, five or six people who wanted to be the main alternative uh, to Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, all sort of carving up uh, attention and, and focus and time and money. Uh, so now, I, you know, we've got a couple of those out. Uh, it, it, it certainly looks like, uh, you know, for the moment that Biden is back and, you know, will, could this mean that it becomes a Biden Sanders uh, primary and you know people get to make that uh, one or the other choice possibly you know it depends on what Mike Bloomberg has mm-hmm. in mind mm-hmm. uh, you know so you know Amy Klobuchar to a lesser extent you know who knows what Elizabeth Warren is up to so uh, you know I, I have seen you know up till now it's been a little bit of a mirror image of uh, 2016 for the Republicans and now before all of your listeners jumped down my throat. I'm not saying uh, Sanders has uh, much in common uh, with Trump, but it's the same idea of this sort of iconoclastic figure who's, you know, uh, upending everything in the party. And the party can't agree on who is the alternative to him. You know, is it, was, is it Marco? Uh, is it is it Jeb? Is it uh, Kasich? You know, who, who is it? Is it Ted Cruz? Uh, and not one of them really got a, a straight shot at Trump. Uh, in, in enough time to uh, make a difference. I think had that happened, uh, we wouldn't have Trump right now. Uh, so I don't know if that same thing's going to happen uh, you know, right now. And I, and I think in the age of Donald Trump, 
and even in the age of Bernie Sanders, one dares not make predictions. Right. Now, I remember at the time, uh, it, it wasn't mere reflection. Uh, the uh, governor of Wisconsin, Scott, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. Walker, mm-hmm. Walker dropped out, and he said, I'm getting out, and everybody else ought to get out. So we have one guy up against Trump. That's the only way we're going yeah. to stop him. Yep. Yep. Didn't yep. happen, right? Yeah. It, so, it, it did not happen. Right. Buttigieg, any chance do you believe that he might endorse Biden? You know, I think there was there was a lot of expectation. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it w- would make sense. They're you know reasonably uh, well aligned, except for you know divided by uh, forty years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, right. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, that no, would mean it would it would make uh, political sense to do. Um, but uh, uh, would it would it really matter? I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of this is going to have to do with Mike Bloomberg, who was, I, you know, at the, at the time he entered, it did look like Biden had imploded and that there had to be some sort of alternative that appears, you know, Biden seems to have sprung back to life. Uh, so that does not appear to be, you know, a, a, a void he needs to fill at this particular moment, you know, half a billion dollars later. Uh, but uh, you know, who knows? We may be maybe entirely different after uh, after uh, Super Tuesday. Were you surprised at how far Buddha Judge got with how little experience? Well, I mean, what that what an extraordinarily talented guy. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and I, I suspect we've not uh, uh, heard the last of him. Um, so uh, you know, it was surprising, and you know, I think first it was you know we got a huge fundraising. Uh, uh, bonanza, and I think a lot of it was the novelty of being this, you know, first prominent uh, a gay candidate at the presidential level. Uh, helped a lot with fundraising early on, and then you know he just you know captivated the public in terms of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, but not with uh, we should point out young people. Uh, he was the uh, he was the old person's idea of what a young person should be, right? Uh, and uh, and not enough with uh, with minority voters. So you can't you can't, can't do too well in the Democratic Party without that, right? Now you know the big angst, and you've written about this in the Democratic Party, of course, is uh, among the establishment Democrats. Uh, oh my God, Bernie Sanders, a socialist, mm-hmm. not even a Democrat, so far left, uh, so far away from the mainstream. No way that he could beat Trump, and uh, you know they're worried they might get stuck with him, and the that the and the that would hurt so many down ballot candidates. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you read this angst about Bernie? Do you think I mean again, if you go back to the reflection of 2016, Republicans had the same angst. Again, they're not mm-hmm. they're, they're not the same about a Donald Trump. If we heard it from Republicans, he could never win the White House, right? Well, hello. Right. So, are, yeah, no, and I remember Bernie... I, I remember talking to a Republican who would go on to take a prominent role in the Trump administration about this and he's like I'm not so much worried that he can't uh, 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 that that he that he'll win the primary. I'm worried that he'll win the White House. They were they were worried about <laughs> yeah. that possibility too, um, for good reason, as it turns out. Um, you know, uh, I mean, look, I think there the angst is a bit of an intellectual one. You know, people say he's promising a whole lot of insane sixty trillion dollar things that aren't going to happen. It's like, okay, yes, I think any rational person knows. He's not going to spend sixty trillion dollars. It's not going to happen. So, in that sense, it's like you know, 
uh, Trump saying he's going to eliminate the the, uh, the federal debt or or at least cut it in half in yeah. uh, in the in the in the span of his term. You know, I so I I, I, I you know I but who cares what he's proposing? I think any rational person knows that that's not what's actually going to happen. You know, we live in a, a bipartisan system, but you know, so it's really yeah, I think it's less a policy question than a a politics question. And yeah, you lose some. Uh, uh, you lose some moderate voters, uh, some disaffected uh, uh, Republicans. Uh, you probably uh, lose some more Democrats in endangered uh, 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 House districts. Maybe mm-hmm. hurts the Senate a little bit. On the other hand, you know this guy's got a, you know a massive populist following, very popular uh, among young voters. And you know there's an argument that you know if the Democrats don't nominate him, those people go away. Right. You know, you know, probably with, you know, with, you know, Bernie not getting on board with the nominee similar to last time. Uh, and, you know, if it, if, if, it were, but if it's Bernie, you know, pretty much all the other Democrats hold their nose and they go and vote for him. So it's really just a question of which theory of the case you have. And, you know, I, I you can't say one is one or the other is right. So I'm sort of, you know, agnostic in this. Uh, I, you know, I, have a, have a sense that uh, Biden would be more reassuring as a president, uh, but I don't know which whether it would be Biden or Bernie would be more likely to produce a victory. And the big unknown that you have uh, referenced a couple of times for all of us is Michael Bloomberg. And here we are on the eve of Super Tuesday, this podcast being actually broadcast on Super, the morning of Super Tuesday. And this is the time we're going to find out whether Bloomberg's money bought anything or not, I guess, right? And it could be a one and done for him. Uh, it, yeah, it absolutely could be. It's it's all riding on this, because, particularly because he didn't uh, contest those uh, earlier states. Right. Uh, you know, it's and each time somebody has tried this sort of thing, you know, remember Rudy Giuliani um, uh, before he was uh, you know, right. running our – <laughs> uh, politics in Eastern Europe uh, <laughs> tried this approach. I think it was in Florida, and that's and, uh, yeah. and it all and it all fell apart. So um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But you know, of course, when you spend uh, half a billion dollars, it has some impact. So uh, 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 you know, it's just not working with the overall you know earned media narrative. Which you know, if had he not done so terribly in those two debates, had Biden not miraculously sprung back to life. You know, be very different. So I think it was a reasonable calculation. It's it's hard to see how that works out now, but uh, you know, who knows? I mean, <laughs> let's let let's let the voters have their say. Well, and um, I loved your column about the last debate. Uh, boy, what um, <laughs> what a disaster, right? It, there, if yes. we, if we learned anything, maybe from this primary so far, haven't we learned there's got to be a better way? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we don't know what the way is, but this ain't it, right? I think I think I think they should have a moderated debate the next time. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I like the people who are involved in that. It just like seems like they they lost control and totally. should have been unplugging the microphone at, at, at some point. But you know, yeah, the free for all didn't doesn't help uh, uh, any of those Democrats, and I don't know the crowded stage doesn't help any of these Democrats. So uh, you know, once again, if you want to have a real debate, have a have it clearly, clearly Bernie, and whoever is clearly not Bernie, uh, uh, and then pe- <laughs> give people right. a choice. Right, uh, they can go at each other, but you know, I think mostly they will 
be uh, pointing out a clear contrast with the current administration. Uh, and maybe as a former Democratic chair of California, this is just wishful thinking on my part, but I have the sense that the majority of Democrats now recognize that starting off in Iowa with these stupid caucuses and then going to New Hampshire, right, uh, mm -hmm. and then finally getting to Nevada and South Carolina, which may make a little more sense, but still... Um, they're, they're very isolated states and, and, and contests that don't really reflect what the party or the nation is all about. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I've, I've kind of been uh, a believer in the idea that, you know, the people of Iowa and New Hampshire particularly take this very seriously and go to all these events and, you know, they f sort of feel like it's their vetting responsibility. Now, Iowa... I, th I think we're done with for <laughs> the way they handled this. Uh, and I think caucuses have uh, yeah. continued to um, demonstrate to us that they don't represent a whole lot uh, in the current age. Um, so, uh, you know, but each time we say, that, all right, that's the end of that, you know, <laughs> we're right. going to another system, but uh, uh, it, it never seems to happen. Although, I, you know, I think enough states have moved up that, you know, this is a, de facto uh, national primary day. Right. Even even uh, former majority leader Harry Reid has said that no more caucuses for uh, for Nevada because basically mm -hmm. they're 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 not democratic, you know, with a small d, but we're, because there's so many people who don't have that much time to be able to go and participate. Uh, right. So I mean it, it measures the intensity of support. That's why Sanders does well on that. Right. So it, it's yep. it's a low turnout, but yeah, only the most passionate come out. And when you're leading a army of passionate populace, that you do well in caucuses. He did well in caucuses last time. So the invisible man in the Democratic primary uh, so far, Barack Obama. If there were any time it, that Barack Obama could make a difference and maybe um, reassure Democrats that it's not going to be Bernie Sanders, it will be the, uh, Joe Biden, would be Barack Obama. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's any chance he'll jump in? I, not based on uh, what we've seen from him so far. You know, I think he's, I mean, look, he was the last figure who could uh, fuse the, the two wings of the, uh, uh, of the Democratic Party together. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think he uh, uh, wants to dare to, uh, you know, sort of take on Sanders and alienate uh, all those people. Um, uh, and it probably wouldn't work anyway. I, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. just guessing these would yeah. be his calculations. So, you know, why, you know, get into the, uh, political fray here, but, you know, I, I think if he felt that he could make the difference, perhaps that would be a different story. Uh, and finally, uh, again, thank you so much for, for your time today. I want to ask you as a journalist, as a columnist, um, someone who follows this so closely, how do you deal with Donald Trump's tweets? I mean, do you read everyone, feel necessary to comment about everyone or just ignore them? Or I mean, we, we, all struggle, well, we all struggle with this. I do. I get his tweets. I read them. I don't know what the hell I think of them sometimes. But well, how I do have you them, handle it? I have them, you know, forwarded as, a, as like a text message. So I get them, you know, even if I'm not perusing Twitter. And most of the time I'm not perusing Twitter. I, right. I think it's a, it's a, it's a distraction and a, and a harmful one. But, right. Uh, By the way, so do I. Uh, That's how I see the tweets, only through the text messages. Yeah. Exactly. So I, um, uh, you know, but sometimes, you know, particularly when he's on one of his hundred tweet days, you just have to turn the darn thing off. And then I'll realize 
you know, a, a calm settles over me a few days later and I realize, wait, I'm not seeing any of his tweets. <laughs> um, and then, so I turn it back on and then it gets crazy again. But, uh, you know, come on, even his uh, ardent supporters are like, all right, enough with the tweets already, you know. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's calm this down a bit. But uh, uh, so we have to do it in doses. You can have a do not disturb thing on your phone. So you, Trump can not, you cannot see his tweets at 1 a.m. I think that... Um... I think we've all accepted the fact that this is the way it's going to be, right? There ain't no taking away, taking the phone away from him. There's an, he's not going to stop tweeting. This is basically who he is, uh, and we're just going to have to deal with it as long as he's there and hope the next guy doesn't do the same thing. Yeah, but what are the chances the next guy doesn't? I mean, he, you know, the next guy, whoever it is, wouldn't be quite as extreme. But uh, you know, this is this is how the uh, president's going to communicate now. If only he were communicating, uh, you know. Uh, uh, medical advice, uh, public health advice, uh, uh, scientific uh, uh, findings. That would be a very helpful public service, but I'll keep waiting. And how powerfully reassuring that would be for the American people, right? That, yeah, no, that, it could be a force for real, real good. Yeah. Oh, alas, alas. Dana Milbank, great to join you. Great to spend some time with you. Thanks for your, all your good work. How can people find you um, they, if they're not, uh, you know, can can pick up the uh, Washington Post at their front step every day. Uh, well, I, my my columns posted pretty much every morning uh, or, or evening into morning at the Washington Post four days a week, uh, and I'll uh, uh, you can sign up for uh, uh, an email newsletter. Just uh, go to my uh, Twitter at uh, Milbank, and you'll see how to do all that. At Milbank. All right. Daniel Milbank, thanks for great work. And it was a great pleasure. Thank you, Bill. See you again soon. Okay. Thanks, okay. Dana. And that's it for today's podcast with Dana Milbank. Thanks again to Dana. Thanks to all of you for joining us. And again, you got to subscribe. We need you to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so. Just go to wherever you're listening to this podcast, bring up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. And then one other big favor, tell all your friends to do the same and to follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. Have a good one. Stay strong. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Bill Press Pod.